1: spy versus spy in america canada and australia with special guest stars from the russian and chinese services the u.s treasury department issues more sanctions against north korea's reconnaissance general bureau better known as the lazarus group or hidden cobra russian election influence goes local and domestic password manager security problems and why does your flashlight want to know so much about you From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, September 16, 2019. The news that's broken over the weekend and into today heavily involves espionage. And so our discussions will have a great deal of spy versus spy. First, Yahoo reports that Russian intelligence services successfully compromised FBI and possibly other intelligence community communications from 2010 until 2016. U.S. counterintelligence authorities became aware of the compromise, which involved, among other things, the ability to break encrypted cell phone communications among FBI counterintelligence teams sometime in 2012. Internal disputes within the Obama administration's national security apparatus – which experts who witnessed deliberations characterized to Yahoo as reset hangover, delayed a comprehensive response until December 2016, after the last U.S. presidential election. That response took the form of the expulsion of more than 30 Russian diplomats, declared persona non grata for their involvement in the espionage campaign. It also involved U.S. seizure of two comfortable vacation homes, both with nice proximity to the ocean used by the Russian delegation, one on Long Island, New York, and the other on Maryland's eastern shore. The FBI began to move to alternative communication systems after suspecting something was up in 2012. Observers describe that move as expensive. One of the questions the Russian operation aroused is the possibility that the espionage campaign wasn't simply a technical achievement, although it seems clearly to have been that, but rather a technical achievement enabled by an internal turncoat, a mole. There is also a mole hunt underway in Canada. On Friday, a senior member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the RCMP, colloquially the Mounties, Cameron Ortis, has been charged under Canada's Information Security Act, CBC reports. Mr. Ortis had been serving as Director General of the RCMP's National Intelligence Coordination Centre, He's alleged to have been in improper contact with Russian entities. It's not known what information, if any, he may have passed on. There's some hope that he was stopped before he was able to transfer any sensitive information. The government has been relatively tight-lipped about the case, but Crown counsel did tell reporters, Without going into too much detail, it's alleged he obtained, stored, and processed sensitive information. The Crown believes with the intent to communicate that information with people he shouldn't be communicating to. He's been charged under the Security of Information Act with unauthorized communication of special operational information and with preparing for the commission of an offense by obtaining or gaining access to information or possessing any device, apparatus, or software used for concealing, surreptitiously communicating, or obtaining information. He was not charged with sharing information with a foreign government which has led some observers to hope that nothing, in fact, reached the Russians. He also faces charges under Canada's criminal code, including breach of trust by a public officer and unauthorized use of a computer. Why would Russian intelligence be interested in the RCMP? They're Canada's national police service, is why, and they have a counterintelligence role that's roughly analogous to that of the US FBI. The Globe and Mail says that Mr. Ortis was also running the Canadian side of an inquiry into Russian money laundering, which would also have piqued Russian interest. The other four eyes will be watching developments of the case closely, since a compromise, should one have occurred, could affect the services of Australia, New Zealand and the United Kingdom and the United States. The RCMP wasn't saying whether Mr. Ortis still had a job with the Mounties, But we're betting at the very least that he's been placed on indefinite leave and probably isn't welcome back into the skiff until any of these possible misunderstandings are cleared up. Reuters reports what's long been suspected. The Australian Signals Directorate concluded in March that Chinese intelligence services were responsible for penetrating networks of Parliament and three major parties, the Liberals, the Nationals and Labour. The government did not make the conclusion public, sources tell Reuters, because of concerns that doing so would disrupt bilateral trade negotiations. So, given that the anonymice have begun chatting with Reuters, the anonymice at least don't care so much about bilateral trade talks. On Friday, the U.S. Treasury Department announced sanctions against North Korean hacking organizations, units of that country's principal intelligence service, the Reconnaissance General Bureau, Three outfits were specifically singled out, the Lazarus Group, also known as Hidden Cobra, and two of its subordinate organizations, Blunaroff and Andariel. Treasury holds the Lazarus Group responsible for WannaCry and the Sony hack. Blunaroff has specialized in attacks on the SWIFT financial transfer system, and Dariel in carding and ATM theft. One might wonder what, at this point, is left to sanction in North Korea – but there remain many good reasons for calling out the RGB's cat paws and for naming individual actors, getting them on a range of watch lists. If all politics is local, online election influence seems to be moving in that direction as well. Medusa's account of how Russian influence operations have evolved since 2016 shows more attention to the details of advertising, more attention to domestic elections, and more listicles. The attention being paid to domestic elections is noteworthy. Apparently, embarrassment and irritation over what President Putin took to be unwelcome encouragement of dissident factions in Russian public life, such as it is, drove that 2010 effort to up Russia's espionage game in the United States. After all of this wrangling among rival intelligence services, we close with a few reminders that there are other security concerns in cyberspace. Google's Project Zero tweeted in the wee hours last night that the LastPass password manager could, under certain circumstances, leak credentials from a previously visited site. It seems to be an actual possibility, but one that requires relatively complicated user interaction to accomplish. It also seems limited to browser extensions in Chrome and Opera. LastPass's response isn't quite a physician-heal-thyself in the direction of Google, Anywho, Chrome users, take note. We'll see how this story develops. And speaking of Google, there are a lot of very nosy flashlight apps in the Play Store. How much does a flashlight app really need to know about you, really? Not as much as it's asking, Avast suggests. It seems that a lot of those permissions are requested in the service of monetization on behalf of ad partners. 50 to 70 permissions seems like a lot for a flashlight to need if it's simply in the business of helping you find your keys at the tail end of a fun night. And why would the flashlight demand permission to record audio? At any rate, beware of the flashlight. It's supposed to be revealing your surroundings to you, and not vice versa. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io/slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Justin, it's always great to have you back. Um, I wanted to touch base with you today about uh, HTTPS and some things that are going on with that when it comes to phishing. What can you share with us?
0: Well, it's the magical green safe icon. We've been conditioned to trust, uh, but it's actually turning out that the trust shouldn't be implicit. And we know that the green icon means our data is safe in motion. We can all agree on that. If you if you have your browser and, you, and that green a green safe is up there or your green bar or, or the black safe if you're using chrome that means that your browser has negotiated a tls protocol with the web server and and intruders or, or attackers or adversaries that are sitting between you in that website uh, can't see your data mm. but what we don't take into account is what happens when it gets to the destination and and what we're seeing is a trend In attackers that are not only using the approach to take a domain name or company name and change the one to a an L or changing an O to a zero, but they're also putting in SSL certificates. So that really gives users a little bit of more trust in that site because we've we've conditioned them. Hey, if it's a green safe, you're okay.
1: So is it the fact of the matter that SSL certificates aren't that hard to come by these days?
0: Yes. uh, In fact, we're seeing a trend where SSL certificates are actually making it through the signing process and probably instances where they shouldn't. Most notably are the domains that are just like real companies, but they've got a few characters transposed. Uh, Hmm. And given how easy it is for adversaries to get their own compute power, their own web servers on the cloud. So there are even virtual cloud data centers that you can pay in Bitcoin. It makes it very easy to get a, a MIMIC style domain, go register an SSL certificate, and essentially run your own business email compromise portal out of there with your misnamed sites and your SSL certificates. Now, while they are valid, they're not quite, I wouldn't really call them fake. They're really just, Maybe the the right term is faux here, Dave, but
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) so they're not actually signing them in a fake sort of way. They're getting them signed so that they can be uh, that green icon. It's just that the cert providers are not putting a, a stringent process on that. And when users are using their browser, either on mobile or PC or Mac or Linux, they go to these sites and then they automatically trust them because of the green icon.
1: Well, so, I mean, let's approach solutions to this from two directions. I mean, there's, there's the technical side and there's the human side.
0: Clearly, on the technical side, the best uh, approach is to uh, have a little bit more of a stringent process on signing certificates, but I can only imagine the enormity of that problem out there given uh, the speed at which domains are being registered and uh, certs are being signed. And on the human aspect to this, uh, I would say that this is more of a uh, medium to small businesses that are targeted with this style of attack. Uh, mm. If you are part of the big businesses, they are usually policing a lot of the domains out there and pol- trying to police a lot of the certificates. But you see, with the medium and small providers, uh, they don't have that sort of vigilance. So their users uh, are getting uh, duped into uh, this sort of operation. You- you've also got to look at how this is being delivered. Uh, to the victims, uh, usually phishing attacks or SMS style phishing attacks or even voice attacks. So calling up and doing a little bit of social engineering. I think that being able to train your personnel, your customers, your employees about this risk with an ongoing security awareness uh, training program is a good step forward for it.
1: And and I guess uh, looking at that little lock icon and, and taking it with a grain of salt.
0: That's right. If if the nature of the reason you're you're accessing this site uh, is that you got a text or an email from your bank or forum from, from uh, a social media site, they're, they're trying to k- create a compelling event. They're trying to get you to say, oh, oh my gosh, I need to stop what I'm doing now and log in. Hmm. The best course of action is no matter where it comes from, is to go and use your browser and type in the website and go to there and see if that alert exists. or. Simply call in to wh- wherever it is and ask them if this is their valid
1: communication to you. Mm, and go look up that phone number. Don't don't use the number that they may provide you with, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, Justin Harvey, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? That's vanta.com/slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed